You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Welcome back to The Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and... Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. We are your film analysis team here with the New York Giants blog, part of SB Nation. So folks, uh, if you remember last episode when we did our quick take show, we recorded immediately after the game, right when Washington playing Carolina had just started. And at the same time, the Eagles were beating the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and we talked a lot about being realistic. And we talked a lot about some of the positive takeaways from the season and, and hanging your hat on certain things. And, and frankly, Chris, I forgot that we are covering a team in the NFC East in 2020. And that the decision and the fact that I made the statement of being realistic is frankly obnoxious now that I think about it. For me to think that anything realistic can possibly happen in the NFC East is an absolute farce. I, I, I just, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, how we ended up in a position where going into the game, everybody was just assuming Giants need to win against the Ravens. If they don't, they're out of the playoffs. And now here we sit. The Giants actually have a somewhat of a handle on their destiny, destiny heading to the playoffs. And that handle on their destiny requires them to beat the Cowboys and for Philly to beat Washington, who frankly has no starting quarterback. Tyler Heineke is expected to start. So right now, the Giants are in a situation that come 5 o'clock, the, the time we're recording right now at, at, at around 4 o'clock on Monday, a whole previous day before, none of what is possible and what is going to happen right now was even in the back of our heads at the time. Yeah, you know, we... We really should know better by now than to try to predict anything in the 2020 NFC East. Uh, I think this is going to go down as maybe the worst division in modern NFL history because one way or the other, unless somehow the uh, somehow the Philadelphia Eagles come out of this with the win, which I don't know that it's possible anymore. In fact, it probably isn't possible. There's going to be a six win team coming out of the NFC East and going into the NFL playoffs. As near as I can tell, the worst team to ever make it to the playoffs was a seven win team. So it is just a testament to this division that we could see two teams finish six and 10 and then one of them go into the playoffs on a tiebreaker, or it's, it, it's utterly insane at this point. And we really should have known something like that was going to happen because nothing happens easily or simply in this division, especially not this year. Exactly. That's the that's the point. Is we were assuming one thing, and things were looking in one direction. And I wouldn't say it's the unexpected, but something that was a little bit unpredictable ended up happening, putting the Giants still in a position where in week 17, they can still win the NFC East and they can still go to the playoffs. And it's actually really interesting. Trevor uh, Sykema and also Field Yates pointed out on Twitter 
This game for the Giants against the Dallas Cowboys, which we will preview on Thursday, that game, if if they lose, if certain things fall into place, they could have a pick as high as third overall, or conversely, they could be picking at 19th if, I, if they head to the playoffs. So there is not only the playoffs on the line, but there are just so many different things that can happen based on what happens with these four teams in the division. Literally anything can change. I can't even say specifically what will change because there are just so many variables. So we're, we're going to end up previewing the Dallas Cowboys, giving you a good show, preparing you so you know what to expect. Uh, but we are going to on today's show, we are going to recap some of the film points that we noticed from the Baltimore Ravens game, some of the things that maybe should be focused on cleaning up, but just in general were issues in the game and what led to the outcome. And, and Chris, I want to open up by talking about how the, the Giants just did not run the ball effectively. And that sounds like such a blanket, simple statement, but they were going against a lot of loaded boxes. And in no game are you going to be given perfect scenarios to run or throw. And the Ravens were saying, go ahead, I dare you to run against our heavy front, against our our group of really good defensive tackles. And they could not stand up and play competitively with that group. That was why that they couldn't open up their offense. And they were dealing with a lot of second and longs in a bunch of these drives. Yeah, the it also really didn't help that the, the Giants were forced into throwing, I think, a lot earlier than they would have liked. They, they have really had to lean on their running game the last two months of the season. And the Ravens took that away. Like you said, they dared the Giants to run on them. Or conversely, they dared the Giants to try, to try to throw against their corners. And particularly when they started playing man coverage, it, just none of it worked. You know, Once the Giants got down by two scores, you know, at that point, it's just even though there was a lot of football left to be played, it's difficult to try to run the ball consistently because you're just going to be using up so much time. And with the Giants defense pretty much unable to do much of anything against the Ravens offense, they just found themselves in a position where they had to throw the ball. And that takes them really out of what they do well. Exactly. What we've seen over the last few weeks, what has created some offensive juice and during that four-game win streak was effective running, was was effectively running the football and blocking well, playing hat for hat, getting your assignments, not making too many mistakes. Not every play is going to be perfect, but everybody was playing their assignments. And in those games, we, we saw these teams using loaded boxes. They weren't afraid to stack a lot of guys in the box. But we saw, despite the fact in this game, the Giants offensive line just did not come to play in both phases. We already talked about the issues that they had protecting for Daniel Jones. But now the other side of it, after watching the film and going back and looking at it, you really do start to notice that they just weren't blocking well. They were not getting off the ball. They weren't creating space. And whoever was taking the rock was usually tackled after maybe a four-yard gain if they were lucky. And you cannot create offensive success with a quarterback who's banged up if he's constantly throwing the ball and he's in second and long and it's obvious that they're throwing the ball yeah and whatever running running success the Giants had was basically Wayne Gallman carrying half the Ravens defense for an extra two maybe three yards yeah he only carried the ball six times again you can see how the Ravens forced the Giants into throwing the ball but that just is not the strength of their 
team. Their offensive line is not a particularly good pass protecting offensive line and their wide receivers struggle against man coverage. And with Daniel Jones banged up, you know, his placement isn't what it should be or what it could be. It just all compounded and because they forced the Giants to be so one-dimensional, it made things just entirely too easy for the Ravens' defense. The other thing offensively that we really noticed, and I, I thought that this was a little odd, that the Ravens were actually running a little bit more zone than we anticipated. A lot of the tape that we had previously watched, they really liked to use zone, or not zone, sorry, a, a man coverage, a lot of cover one, sometimes some cover zero, and we did see that, but they were willing to run a little bit more zone in this game. And what was actually interesting is in these instances, they actually had some decent success of picking up yardage, throwing into the gaps in the zone. There were plays where I saw Evan Ingram get open across the middle. Uh, some other guys were able to get open in these various gaps. But as soon as the Ravens decided to use their man blitzes that they ran so effectively, that was when the Giants were sitting ducks. And they really had no answer for it. It's not like I can really sit here and explain to you folks what was happening and why they couldn't play against it. They just had no answer. There's nothing really you can do differently when you're having eight guys sent against you. Your quarterback can barely move. And then on top of that, their corners are doing a really good job in press. Yeah, and that's it. You know, when the when the defense sends those jailbreak blitzes, when they're sending eight, seven, nine guys uh, as pass rushers, you need your pa- your receiving options, whether they're wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, you know, whoever is releasing into a route. They need to win quickly, and if they can't win in two, two and a half seconds, your quarterback either has to f- make a split decision to throw the ball away or you're taking a sack that's those are pretty much your options at that point and it is really risky because if the pass catchers can win quickly they can pick up chunk yardage make big game changing plays but the giants just were not able to do that watching the watching the game and then watching the tape again against the zone the when the ravens decided to run some zone i thought it was curious too and i had really two thoughts as to why they might be doing that the first was that they were just trying to shorten the game, uh, trade completions, trade yardage for time off the clock. Not a prevent defense per se, but the same idea. Basically, they had decided they have a big enough lead. It's all but insurmountable. Their offense is rolling. So, so what if the Giants pick up some completions, pick up some yards, and you know maybe get a field goal out of it? That that doesn't really hurt them. The other thing I was thinking was that maybe by playing zone, they were thinking they could capitalize on their pressure and just let Daniel Jones throw them the football. Now, they the Giants didn't have any turnovers, but it is worth noting that the Ravens did get their hands on a couple passes. They just hit the ground. They weren't able to secure the catch. The thing I noticed that the Ravens did that over the last two years, the other teams that have tried that tactic were not able to do is they turned it back on again. Like you said, when the Ravens basically had enough of the Giants moving the ball and they got that touchdown after what I can still only call a boneheaded penalty by Justice Hill, it really benefited the Giants a ton. It it was what kept them in the game through the fourth quarter, but that roughing the punter penalty that that drive should have been over right then and there those three back to back to back sacks that ended the drive and it was just stupid penalties by the Ravens that kept that drive alive 
after that touchdown, we saw the Ravens flip the switch, fired the engine back up, and got after the Giants in a way that last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the Chicago Bears, these other teams where the Giants have been able to battle back and make it close, they weren't able to flip the switch and get traction again like the Ravens were able to do this game. Honestly, with all the issues that they had offensively, one of the things that you'll hear coaches say when you have film the next day, they'll say, we're, we're just going to throw this one out. And I, I don't think this was the worst game that they played, but based on some of the issues that they had, and especially the offensive line, it might be that type of a philosophy. It might be, all right, we need to turn the page. This game is not indicative of what we can be. This is against a very good football team. We now need to focus and hunker down in order to beat the Dallas Cowboys so we can head to the playoffs. I I don't know if if that's what Joe Judge's philosophy is going to be. I don't know if he's that type of a coach, but I've definitely been in those situations where I've had coaches say that we need to focus on this next game because it is more important than worrying about all the major problems that we had in the previous game because we just did not come to play. We're going to talk about some of the defensive takeaways um, very soon. We're going to cover a little bit of tackling issues and also some weird personnel decisions and some moving guys around that we noticed. We're going to talk about that very shortly. It's pretty simple to say and and pretty safe to say that the Giants defense did not tackle well in this game. And you can chalk that up to why the Ravens are so good at running the football is that they have a lot of guys that are very hard to tackle. Gus Gus Edwards is a very aggressive downhill runner. J.K. Dobbins is a little bit quicker and shiftier and good at getting to the edge. And then Lamar Jackson is just a a fantastic athlete at the quarterback position who runs with complete fluidity and is uh, elusive despite being on the bigger side for a quarterback. But one thing that we saw in this game is you needed to tackle against this team if you wanted to have success you wanted to slow them down. And, And the Ravens didn't have really any crazy big pickups. It's not like they had a 50-yard gain. The Giants' defense just doesn't really allow plays like that, especially against the run. But what you kept seeing was opportunities to tackle guys at the line of scrimmage or a yard upfield, missing, completely whiffing, trying to go for an ankle tackle, and just being stepped over by whoever has the ball. And then that then turning into a 7- to 8-yard gain because your contain has now been broken. And there was such an emphasis on trying to stop the run up the middle. So all those tackling issues just came back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, and I would say that particularly against the running backs. You know, I It's hard for me to really get on the Giants defensive lineman for not being able to finish sacks against Lamar Jackson. He was just playing keep away from them, and he is a different type of athlete. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, those guys are athletic. But they're athletic for defensive tackles. Uh, Lamar Jackson is athletic in like Olympic terms. You know, he is just too quick, too agile, too fast, too explosive for those guys to really be able to keep up with. And at times, it almost looked like he was kind of toying with them as he danced around in the backfield. But where the Giants should have been making their tackles and getting the stops and forcing the Ravens into second and third and long is in the running game on first and second down. And it just wasn't there. I don't know if the maybe the Ravens offense, all of the play action and misdirection they were running was forcing guys just a little bit out of position. And they weren't able to take good angles to get those tackles. But 
like you said, the the tackling just was not there for the Giants and almost every other play it seemed the play was over when the Ravens more or less decided it was over and stepped out rather than finally take a big hit from a deep safety. Yeah, I that that's the that's the one key thing here is it almost seemed like there weren't any tackles that were made by the Giants defense. It was a lot of chasing guys out of bounds because they were trying to get to the edge so far while picking up a ton of yardage that they were then led out of bounds. It wasn't really a lot of quality tackling and I think the other issue that you then saw a number of plays where you had opportunities to get and I know it's it's hard to get sacks on Lamar Jackson but they were able to get at least like two or three opportunities to sack him and they were um in poor position and they had a poor tackle attempt to make a play on Lamar Jackson that he was able to turn what could have been a loss of yardage into a, then a 10-yard pickup so that lack of tackling continued to show up in multiple aspects of the game, not just against the run. The other thing I want to hit on here, Chris, and you pointed this out to me, I didn't even truly notice it, but there was a lot of weird uh, decisions by Patrick Graham in terms of lining up guys where, and this isn't us saying that we disagree with the idea of what he was going for, but it didn't really work that well, whatever he was trying to do. And I think I'm sure Patrick Graham recognizes that, it didn't really live up to his expectation of what he was trying to do, but we saw a lot of Dexter Lawrence at nose tackle. Yeah. And I think some people listening to this would think, well, yeah, of course, Dexter Lawrence is six foot four, six foot five, 350 pounds. He's all kinds of powerful and explosive. Why wouldn't you put him at nose tackle? Uh, The problem is, is he's not a nose tackle. Yes, he is that big, but he was never a nose tackle or only very, very rarely a nose tackle at Clemson. And since being drafted by the Giants, he's basically been a three technique or defensive end because that allows him to really make use of his length and explosiveness attacking gaps. Yet he is not an effective nose tackle. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson is the Giants nose tackle. He plays with much better leverage. He plays with much better hand usage. Time and again, we saw the interior of the Giants defensive line getting pushed three, five yards upfield. And it was Dexter Lawrence getting pushed like that. You know, that that's something we just don't see from Dalvin Tomlinson. And this game, he was playing defensive end. It was just a little bit weird to see. Now, the Giants were playing a lot of tight fronts or variations on tight fronts where all three of their down linemen were inside of the offensive tackles. And, you know, it makes sense for Leonard Williams to be lining up at that defensive end position. And while Dalvin Tomlinson is certainly capable of doing that, given the choice between him at nose and Dexter Lawrence at nose or vice versa, it is just weird and surprising to see them lined up as they were. And then when the Giants moved down their depth chart and had B.J. Hill and Austin Johnson on the field, it was B.J. Hill at nose tackle and Austin Johnson at defensive end. And they were both on the defensive left so I wonder if that might be something as well but yeah having the Giants more explosive and athletic players inside where they'd have to deal with more double teams was just a weird weird decision to me yeah I I didn't really get that either it was just odd and I'd be curious to ask Patrick Graham what his decision making was Obviously, we don't have that opportunity. It was just so different. And even if we did, he wouldn't tell us. Right. He wouldn't give us a a direct answer. But 
I'm, I just we've never seen him really do something like that before, and he decided to make that switch. But what we ended up seeing is a lot of outside runs that were able to pick up some really good yardage because of that adjustment. The other thing too that I noticed a lot of usage on on Cam Brown, and then I saw a lot of Tay Crowder playing in the middle. And again, I'm not questioning Graham's decision to do this, but I just didn't really get why you were going with a linebacker. Tate Crowder specifically, who's a little bit more known for being a really good coverage player and asking him to defend the run against a run-heavy team. He was just out there a ton, and I, I thought that he got lost lost a lot in the weeds going against those bigger guys when he's just not good at shedding blocks. Yeah, the, that was, again, another curious decision. They The Giants played a lot of Tate Crowder and a lot of David Mayo at linebacker, and on the flip side, they didn't use their edge players. Now, the Giants' edge players are lacking. That's something we have talked about a few times. But Jabal Sheard only got 30 snaps. Cam Brown only got 24 snaps. Yeah. On the flip side, Tay Crowder played almost every single snap, and David Mayo had 40 or 45 snaps. That Those are just some w- weird personnel decisions. And I have to think that... Graham might have outsmarted himself a little bit uh, trying to walk the line between defending the Ravens running game, but also trying to match up with the speed that they have on their offense. And, you know, I can understand that being a very tight, difficult line to walk, but uh, the Giants didn't really do it this time. No, they they just, they definitely did not. Um, That's all we have for this film breakdown show, giving you the perspective of what we noticed when we watched the film, some of the things that weren't really easily apparent from the broadcast when we watched the game live, we're now shifting our focus and we're going to get the, a show out to you this week, preparing you for the Dallas Cowboys and filling you in on all of that great stuff so you know what to be prepared for when they play the Cowboys this Sunday. Playoffs are currently on the line and they're going to need to be prepared for a completely different looking Cowboys team than the one that we saw previously when the Giants lost to them early on in the season. So stay tuned for that. Be on the lookout for that episode. Please also follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon, at RaptorMKII, and at BigBlueView on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, hit that subscribe button and also leave us a review with some positive feedback. We would very much appreciate that if you like listening to us. Lastly, um, make sure you head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. We'll see you soon, folks, to talk to you about the Dallas Cowboys.